and welcome to Imagine Me and Mo Are You, Penguin Drum. I'm Panda. I am your host, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Alice. Hi, Alice. Hello, gamers. We're back at it again, um, playing Sarazon My Origins. Let's do this shit. <laughs> and we are also here with our other co-host, Cass. Hi, Cass. I'm not going to top that. No <laughs> one can. No one could. Uh, Alice just won the podcast today, everyone. Isn't it beautiful? I try my best. Today we are here to talk about episode 13, Our Crime and Punishment. And this episode will be coming out after our holiday hiatus that is being recorded far in advance of the holiday hiatus. So if we say anything that could be contradicted by the passage of time, oops. It's okay. I'm sure when we get through this, there won't have been a nuclear war. (laughs) I hope not. I hope not. Every day God gives us things to worry about. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. So uh, how are you guys feeling now that we are officially halfway through Penguin Drum? I'm liking this one. I made a joke about Sarah's on my origins, but honestly, it, it definitely gives me Sarah's on my vibes. It really does. Oh, sure. Which, of course, is because uh, when Sarah's am I was coming out, it gave Penguin Drum vibes. But I didn't know that because I hadn't seen it yet. Ah, I see what <laughs> you're doing here. Very clever. What about you, Cass? Well, my opinion on this episode is, first of all, I'm going to close the door a little bit because I think I can hear myself echoing. Good idea. And now that I've accomplished that, I loved this episode. (laughs) We are, you know, I said last week that we were in for some peak Ikuhara bullshit. This is also some peak Ikuhara bullshit, this episode, but just of a slightly different flavor. It is. It's the flavor I like better, though, so that makes it a better episode. (laughs) Are you not as big on the uh, storybook bullshit? (laughs) You would think that's what I'm saying, but no, because my favorite episode of Yurikuma is the one that's just telling the moon girl and the the forest girl, so... Okay, well then what's the uh what's the the distinction for you here? So, last episode was the um congratulations I'm going to hurt you now episode. Uh-huh. This episode is the Ikuhara kicks me back down the mystery box episode. <laughs> yeah, last episode was just sort of like, "Hey, so let's let's talk a little bit about it, it was also like Last episode was, like, weirder for me to untangle my feelings about because using but fundamentally altering the 1995 sarin gas attack mm-hmm. is kind of an out-there choice. Ikuhara has been inspired by real-world events before, but usually they're adapted in more of an abstract way. Like, a specific brown bear attack was part of the inspiration for Yurikuma, but mm-hmm. Yurikuma is very much not about that in a literal sense it's just using the fact that like people are afraid of bears to 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 talk about something else well technically ikuhara went from as a progression from penguin drum to yurikuma went from being very specific about the event it was referencing to very abstract yeah but in this particular case it's like 
it would be one thing if this was like this was a the real historical event is what we're talking about, but we're looking at a fictionalized version of it. Mm-hmm. And it's fictionalized to an end I'm not sure I'm not sure how I vibe with in the same way that like I wouldn't be sure how I vibed with a similar show doing a thing where it's like like transliterating this in my head as an American, this is sort of like if somebody did did an adaptation of like a wrote a prestige television show and like a character's parents were clearly the people who were like the cult, the compound leaders at Waco only Waco, and it's obviously Waco it's very specifically Waco everything about the event and how it's depicted is meant to evoke Waco and like there's a lot of specific imagery from Waco but it's being done for completely different reasons than it was in reality and actually Waco was about something else you see. Do you know what and this is not even really a good comparison by any stretch but the only thing that this makes me think of is there was and I don't know if you guys have heard about this there was a movie that came out in 2010 and it was called Remember Me and it's a I remember uh, this. It's a it's a Rob Pat's film, Mr. Robert Pattinson. And like the whole movie is just this like love story between these two characters or whatever. I don't know. I haven't seen it and frankly I don't really care. Uh but the the important part, the important thing about this movie is that at the very end of the movie you learn that like the last like day that the movie takes place in or whatever is on uh september 11th 2001 wow and like one of the people in the movie dies in the september 11th uh world trade center attack and like it's not up until that point in the movie, there has been nothing to indicate that this is relevant, like that 9-11 is related in any way. And that is just, that is the only thing that I keep thinking of when it's uh, like in comparison to Ikuhara's use of the sarin gas attack, even though it's like, obviously this is, the show is obviously better than this movie like in quality i feel like we will probably reserve our judgments on the use of this event uh as the crux of the show i know that we have heard from other people who watch the show that they are not sure how they feel about its use as like the the fulcrum that the plot uh spins upon and you know, like, is it even our place to know whether or not this was a good or bad use of? Uh, yeah, I was kind of a Japanese about that. cultural event. Yeah, well, how do we even? How do we even, as like outsiders, to mm-hmm. the cultural significance of this, really talk about the significance of it? For me, the weird thing now is knowing what I know about this, and knowing what I know about um, underground. It's a weird decision now to use Underground as one of the motifs and callbacks throughout Penguin Drum. And I wonder if there's something subtweety about that, because I think I mentioned this last week, but Haruki Murakami specifically wrote Underground because 
in the aftermath of the sarin gas attack, there was actually a lot of, there was a, the public mood did not immediately turn against Om Shinrikyo the way you might expect it to. Like, a lot of the public, there was a lot of public outcry of like, you know, are, was the whole cult really responsible, you know? At least the, the cult was not demonized at first. At first, yeah, that was the that was the operative thing I was going to say there. The pup, there was a lot of like international reactions uh, where people were like not even sure if uh, Amishin Rikyo had the facilities to manufacture sarin gas, which, by the way, was actually a pretty reasonable thing to wonder because yeah. the the answer was that well, that was why it took so long. Okay. They were using they had to eventually were using. Um, an actual um, old industrial facility, and that was actually a lot harder than it sounds. So, yeah. So Am Shinrikyo was like in this weird place where the public zeitgeist is a little bit split on, you know, could they have even done this? And Murakami comes into the aftermath of a bunch of evidence showing that, no, definitively they did with Underground, which is researched almost entirely through interviews with the victims, so that he, in part because he wanted to kind of push the public zeitgeist more toward, like, no, in fact, you should not have pity on these poor cultists. You should probably have a lot more pity on the people who got sarin-gassed. And also, this cult was, like, despicable and bad. You know, Mm -hmm. like, one of his major motivations, apparently, at least according to Wikipedia, was for whatever that's worth, was in fact wanting to make sure that, you know, to kind of like move the public needle on that. So it's kind of weird that the organization we are being shown here is, number one, clearly not Aum Shinrikyo. Uh-huh. Yeah, we haven't gotten any of their actual stuff that's just not been present. And to be fair, two, like, not showing them actually having the same ideology is actually probably a choice that I'm okay with. Yeah. I suspect that we are not going to get the cult stuff in this show yeah well i i don't know if it's a cult either because all we know for sure spoilers for our viewers who haven't watched the episode and are waiting for us to talk about it apparently all we know for sure is that um kenzan and chiemi the takakura parents are the leaders of whatever organization and probably the two who organized the bombing attack. If I had to guess, I'm gonna guess that maybe this they're like an environmentalist cult or something. Which would which would track because we know they went to Antarctica, which mm-hmm. obviously is a place under risk, uh, then as it is now. But yeah, like instantly that changes not only the historical context, but also like makes the perpetrators of the attack two of the more sympathetic characters we've seen. The first time we're shown Kenzon and Chiemi in flashback, it's kind of to establish that they were kind to their children and that they were good role models for the kids as they grew up. Himari obviously, like, learned something about how to be the way she is from her mother. Kanba learned something about some of the determination he expresses to protect the rest of his family from his father. And while those aren't always wholly positive traits they are often positive traits yeah so you know not that i'm saying that like no parent characters in shows should be perfect but it's weird that in this particular case we're getting this particular perspective 
it does feel like the show is kind of going for a banality of evil thing with that. Yeah, it's it's either a banality of evil thing or a were they really that bad thing. And right now we are too early into the runtime. We still have a whole half of the show left. Mm-hmm. So there's more we we will need to learn. We, we still don't even know what their actual motivation is. We're assuming it's an environmentalist. Oh, yeah. I, I was just speculating. Yeah, we're, we're, we're I, assuming yeah. a lot that. I think we all, like, it's the only thing that makes direct sense. But, like, why they got to that point. We is also still, maybe don't have all the pieces. Like. Yeah, why they got to that point is still up in the air. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's also some other hanging plot threads that we still don't have explained. Like, why did Kenzon authorize the bombing immediately after hearing that his wife had given birth to Shoma and feeling relieved about, like, the birth going well. Was this just, like, had he planned to do it that day the whole time? Or was this kind of a, we're waiting on the birth of my son to trigger this? I mean, I I assumed it was kind of a, I will be survived by someone thing, but... Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, except, like, we don't know if he personally detonated it yet. Yeah. bizarre. He orchestrated the attacks. That doesn't mean he was the one who was actually down in the subway tunnels. Anyway. Episode time. Yeah. Today's episode is, uh, hey kids, we found our Akio. <laughs> Let's roll that beautiful bean footage. So once again, we are greeted by the opening monologue of I hate the word fate. I believe this time it's Shoma saying it. Okay. Because the voice does not match Kanba or Sanatoshi. Yeah. This is the exact same monologue, so I'm not reading it again. Yeah. Sanatoshi is, we see him next to, this is Himari's hospital bed? Yep, this is Himari's hospital bed. Uh, The penguin hat is beside it. Kanba is clutching Himari's hand. This is the immediate aftermath of what we saw last time. This is him coming into this hospital room, as we saw in the last episode, with his little, just his little tiny bunny boy assistance. I hate that you call them bunny boys, even if they are. I mean, they are bunny boys. This is exactly what they are. What else do we call them? Would you like me to say, like, his little assistants? Because that's where my brain immediately went. I am not putting that in the final cut of the episode. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) I was just saying I don't like, I don't condense the idea of bunny boys being evil, but then you made it terrible. (laughs) I don't know how to tell you this, and I'm really sorry, (laughs) but... Panda, as we watched this intro for the 13th or 14th time, um, literally, who in this anime would you cosplay, given a good budget and time? Oh, gosh. I mean, probably Ringo, honestly. Like, her outfit seems, like, really cute and comfy. And I feel like it would be one of those things where, like, you're just wearing, like, a school uniform. So, like, you fit in at the anime convention. But then it's, like, if you know, you know. Yeah. What about you guys? I want to know your I want to know your answer. If you, like, had uh, a- an adequate budget, uh, who would you want to cosplay? Who could I pull off or who would I want to? Because those are two I, different Yeah, answers. no, don't tell me who you want to. Okay. Uh, I, I don't care about things like... Do I think I could make Self-consciousness. The so if I were not self-conscious at all, I would take a try at Yuri. Oh, which outfit? Oh, obviously going in as her as Marie Antoinette. 
Yeah. So that I could do the full uh, talk for a second thing. But you have to be a tall woman to do that. And I am only moderately high. <laughs> I love that you said that as in moderately high. Yeah, I wasn't going to comment <laughs> on it, but... <laughs> yeah, everyone knows. Here I am, Cassandra, the one on this podcast who smokes the most weed. Absolutely. I just get that dank bud every day. What up? 69, 420. We're not playing that game where you have the character that does the drugs. That's just me in real life. Yeah, of course. I ended up dropping that aspect of that character because it slowly became apparent to me that all of the joke of that character had migrated over, by the way, to I'm just a martial artist who happens to have to work for the cat girl maid service. (laughs) Uh, Alice, who would you cosplay? My heart tells me that it would be the Princess of the Crystal, but I know the reality, the true reality, is that I would not do that. I would probably also go for Ringo. See, the thing is that you would make a great Princess of the Crystal, though. You'd make an incredible Princess of the Crystal. You were born to tell lowlifes <laughs> that they'll never amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. The secret third answer is that give if I could figure out a way to make it really funny, I would probably be one of the penguins. Oh, you yes. could wear like a like a kigurumi or like if a mascot get, like, costume. A ridiculous kigurumi thing. Like I would probably do that because the inherent comedy of that is very entertaining to me. Actually, like full on what we need to do here, and I was gonna say this if it was the cosplay I thought I could actually pull off. We should go as Natsume and Esmeralda if we ever do this. Oh man, that would be so good. I love that. You can find a little wrist rocket for me that doesn't work. Because <laughs> I don't want to actually kill someone at an anime convention. Well, they wouldn't let you bring it in if it worked. Yeah, just have like a little baby slingshot. Anyway, Sanatoshi has arrived to um, do a couple of things that will change the course of this show forever. First, stare ominously at a bunch of monitors. Yep, uh, Kimari's flatline vitals. And, you know, this is just him saying the same thing he said at the end of the previous episode of Shibireru, so isn't it electrifying? The second thing he's going to do is blow my mind, because I feel very stupid. Okay. Why? Uh, I will explain in a moment once these suitcases open. So, Sanatoshi informs Kamba that the world hasn't stopped turning yet, and... As Kaba asks who he is, one of his little attendants immediately pins on an ID badge to say that he is a doctor who has just transferred to the hospital as he introduces himself. He is not, by the way, wearing a lab coat. He is- Oh my god, that's fucking Kaiba's coat! It does look like Seto Kaiba's Oh my god, you're right. (laughs) Fuck me! I can't believe- Are you kidding me?! This guy definitely looks like he is a, um, a post-Yugi- Yu-Gi-Oh! villain slash yeah, This is absolutely the, the uh, Seto Kaiba successor from GX we wanted but never got. Oh my god. This is 100% a man who will summon a blue-eyes white dragon. <laughs> That's true. Anyway, he snaps his fingers. One of the little suitcases unlocks and there's some apples in them with a little sticker on them. And there's a little uh, design on the sticker which previously, in every other episode I've talked about, I've said it was shaped like a bullet. And then he picks it up with his hand and ruins my life because he pulls it out of frame, pulls it back up, and it is an ampule of medicine. The shape on there was an ampule of medicine. 
Okay, but the ampule of medicine does look like a bullet. It doesn't. It's got the wrong shape. When you see it, like, large like this, it's a lot more obvious that instead of just, like, coming to a point the way a bullet does, it has a little bit of, like, a hourglass shape where the uh, neck of meets the stopper. It's a stylized ampule, and I should have known it wasn't a bullet. I, I don't know if I should have said. I just gave my best guess. This man has ruined me. He's ruined me, I tell you. I still thought that it was just a bullet-shaped thing of medicine, so... Like, when I watched this earlier. So, it, uh, also fooled me. Yeah. Uh, welcome to, uh, Imagine, uh, Me and Marwa Are You, Penguin Drum, where two of the three hosts don't know what a bullet looks like, and Alice is too nice to correct us. I mean, to be fair, it does look like how someone would draw a 556. Yeah, see? It's wrong, but it looks like I definitely could see someone <laughs> looking at that and saying, yeah, it's a 556. Look, a it, it's how someone would draw a bullet without a reference. It's, it's how someone who doesn't know what a gun is would draw a bullet. That's how, like, the Yowie Hands version of how you would draw a bullet? <laughs> <laughs> and you've been letting me say that this whole time. How could you? I figured we'd find that one way or another. That's fair. Anyway, it's time for the... It's time for uh, sinister things to happen. As Sanatoshi, we get a slow zoom in on the red liquid in this ampule. He says it's a gift that he brought from far away. Yep. And Kanba is mildly okay with this until Sanatoshi says the magic words. Do you have it on the soundboard, Panda? Well, I mean, I have... uh... But what he says is, let's initiate the survival strategy. Why does it sound so much more sinister when he says it that way? Because they only say it like that when they're being sinister. The Princess of the Crystal pulls some shit like that, too. Well, she also says, uh, which is, I think, the exact word wording he uses, mm-hmm. which is part of why Kanba freaks out here. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is the exact same thing he's only ever heard in one other place. Wait, who says it like that? The Princess, the princess of the Crystal. The, the wording he uses is the same as the Princess of the Crystal. Is it really only her? Yeah. Let's initiate the survival strategy? Yeah. Yeah. No I, other I character th- thus far has said that. I guess I just never thought about that, but I guess so. Why would anyone else have said it? Is <laughs> she the only I one? I don't know. I don't, keep, I don't keep track of such things. <laughs> anyway, uh, he pops the ampule open, Sanatoshi does, with his thumb. And declares that, as far as he can tell, Kanba is a helpless and pitiful child as he begins to draw up the medicine into a syringe. Kanba, you are powerless to save your little sister and only able to loathe your fate. But I have the power to summon a blue-eyes white dragon. Anyway, Kanba interrupts him before you can say that bit to uh, ask what that medicine is. Sanatoshi describes it as, you might call it the prince's kiss that awakens the sleeping beauty. So uh, Ikuhara levels are currently off the charts. And oh, yeah. also there is a random unmotivated apple between Himari's feet in the next shot. Just to remind us that this is definitely, it's very much a Snow White reference. Down to the fact that unlike the Disney version, which tiptoes around saying it in the original story, when Snow White eats the apple, she just fucking dies. Oh, yeah. I uh, forgot about that. <laughs> she just fucking dies. The prince kisses a dead woman and it brings her back to life. Anyway, Sanatoshi continues to be menacing as we get an exterior shot of the hospital, and Shoma begins saying, 
still to Ringo that this is their punishment. If Himari never wakes up again, it's a punishment bestowed on our family. Also, we get an overhead shot of the little pathways in the hospital that deliberately, I think, makes them look like a map of subway routes. Yes, Shoma says it has to be a punishment. We get a lot about punishment in this episode. Yep. Considering what my parents have done, there's nothing we can do to atone for their crimes. And as Ringo protests a little bit, Shoma says, to be honest, I knew this day would come eventually. Ever since that day three years ago, as we get our first of several flashbacks this episode. It says, Shoma, three years ago, Takakura home, night, Takakura family's crime and punishment, part one. That day, our ordinary life was stripped from us. So uh, this is the day that Kanba killed the old pawnbroker. <laughs> so the kids are sitting around the table uh, getting ready to eat. That is, I believe, a plate of Japanese-style fried chicken in the center. Uh, yeah, probably karage. Yeah, if you've, never ha- if you've ever, never had karage, listeners, it is very good. I have heard. And the kids are kind of arguing about whether or not to just start eating because mom and dad are home late and they're getting hungry. Dinner time is family time. That's their family motto. That is uh, Shoma's protest to Kanba as he kind of declares, you know, no, we should wait for them. And undercutting him immediately is Lil Humari, who just picks up her bowl of soup and sips some miso down and just goes like, ah, mom's miso soup is the best. That miso soup does look good. Oh man, I wish I had miso soup. I'll tell you what, oh man... We should have gotten some, la- well, no, because the stuff we get from the local Asian grocery doesn't keep super long for the miso packets, we found out. Anyway. Didn't they have a conversation exactly like this earlier? Like the beginning of the show? I'm getting, like, serious deja vu. There is an episode where Kanba is running late. And That's what I'm thinking they are of. debating yeah. whether or not to, without him. Yeah. So... Sho gets up to answer a knock at the door and is greeted by a man whose face is deliberately cut off and kept out of frame. Multiple people whose faces were kept out of frame. Yep, both of them in just suit and tie. And they just ask if he is Shoma Takakura. Kamba comes up to see what's going on. They ask the two of them if their sister Himari is here and go like, Hey, your mom and dad aren't here, right? They didn't contact you by any chance, did they? Just as Kanba goes to argue with them, Himari gets a phone call, calls him from the other room, and while he tries to tell her to stay in her room, she just goes, hey, our uncle's on the phone, it sounds important. Kanba gets on the phone and gets immediately told by Uncle Ikebe that uh, the three of them need to just grab, that first of all, these weird people are the police, and second of all, the three of them need to get a uh, change of clothes a couple of days worth of changes of clothes and immediately leave the house and this whole time there have been three apples all with little penguin stickers on them sitting on the counter yep their uncle says he'll explain everything later anyway uh everybody's gonna bail shoma is still telling this story of ringo and he explains that everything happened so suddenly i didn't even have time to realize something was wrong It really was a day like as any other, say the subtitles. We had breakfast together in the morning. The three of us went to school. Our parents went to work. We smiled by the door and waved, but they never came back. Man, can you imagine if your parents did a terrorist attack and you still had to go to school that day? (laughs) 
<laughs> you didn't know they did a terrorist attack until you got home from school. Yeah, but like if you had known before, you wouldn't have had to go to school. I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I think having to go to school is a net worse. Fair. <laughs> Honestly, I can't think of a school I've, I've gone to that I enjoy so much that I'd be like, no, I'm glad I got to have one last day of normal school before I found out my parents are, are psychotic murderers. Exactly. So they've been apart from their parents for three years now. By the way, uh, just casual reveal that Himari's room is number four. Yeah, I noticed that. I'm sure that's not has any that doesn't have any real significance or anything. Deeply unlucky. We've been waking up to a different world ever since, Shoma says. There's a shot here of the penguins, and penguin number three is still slumped over and slowly vanishing. Though not quite gone yet. Uh, meanwhile, Samatoshi is asking uh, Kanba, so what will you do? As he just fucking twirls the syringe like a gunslinger. Honestly, he's pretty badass. It is, but also as someone who has had to give her partner uh, HRT injections for like a while now. Fucking, that's not how you do that. And <laughs> Maybe that's not how you do it. Sanatoshi's just <laughs> built different. <laughs> Are you are you a T-shirt for not having enough game? This is how Sanatoshi <laughs> gives himself his tea shots. God fucking damn it. <laughs> if I don't spin it like a fucking centrifuge in my right hand, I will get the proper balance of hormone. Exactly. Shall? He tells uh Kamba that this gift comes at a C price. Yeah, yeah, astronaut Valerian is uh at a shortage, right? I mean what? <laughs> After all, it's valuable new medicine. <laughs> there are countless patients waiting to get their hands on it. To which Kamba just goes like, you want money? Uh, and Sanatoshi replies, if that's what you feel is a suitable exchange for your sister's life. What implying you could, in fact, pay in some other way, but Kamba just trawls right past that and goes, I can pay, hurry up and do the thing. And Sanatoshi declares that it's not a sum that a parentless high school student could afford. But Kanba insists that he does, in fact, know where to get the money. Which we have seen previously, he apparently does. With this as collateral, he says as he points to uh, Kanba's chest. Yep, right where Kanba's uh, soul wa or life force or whatever was when uh, the previous survival strategy was used. Uh, Kanba asks what he's talking about. And Sanatoshi just you know, continues by saying, is she worth doing all this for? Kamba What's declares for that Amari is his precious little sister. So there's something interesting in this sequence, which is the vitals of Himari begin changing. They do not stop flatlining, but her heart rate goes from showing as 0 to 12 BPM. And it's uh, steadily going up. Yeah, just rushing up now i'm not sure if this is how the how these displays normally do it but there is a minus sign by it this might imply that it is going into the negatives how do you have negative rhythm i don't know anything Which, about well normally you would in fact not but this is clearly an anomalous situation genius i don't think that's what it is but yeah like either way there's something going on with her heart rate here uh, as though she is reacting to the conversation happening in front of her. Or it's picking up on Kanba's anxiety. One of the two. Sanatoshi continues his little uh, tirade with, What will be left after burning yourself away a hundred times for her sake? 
the hideous charred heart of a scorpion or stark white ashes. Kamba declares, I don't want anything for myself. I wouldn't even dream of it. As long as Himari is with me, hurry up. Aren't you a doctor? <laughs> so the implication I'm getting from this conversation, Sanatoshi is, I think, kind of digging at the fact that there have been hints that Kanba has less than platonic feelings for Himari. <laughs> and he's kind of asking, like, when you're through with all of this, you know, what is it you want? Are you doing this so that she'll fall for you or something? And Kanba is kind of disgusted with him for even suggesting that. Is how I'm kind of reading that bit, that beat. Uh, yeah, I would say that that's fair. Notably, he doesn't deny that he has feelings. He's just like, why would I ever know? Why would I ever do that? That's fucked up. I don't care. <laughs> Which, you know... Didn't think I'd say this after episode one, but uh, Kanba, smart man, follows the rules. <laughs> uh, this joke stolen from Jeff Thu, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> anyway, in order to make this incredibly awkward sequence even creepier, the little bunny boys just go, Oh, impressive, Dr. Sanatoshi, we have a deal! <laughs> just, yay! We got a kid to sell his soul for his sibling! Impressive, Dr. Sanatoshi. And they clap clap, clap, clap. in unison, and it's totally not uncanny. Yep. Sanatoshi's like, I know, right? Which is very funny. Well, well, then that settles it. And he leans in and gives Himari a shot as we move to our second flashback. Three years ago, Shinjuku Kayo Plaza Hotel, Takakura Family's Crime and Punishment, Part 2. That day, our love was stripped from us. So first it was their ordinary life, now it is their love. Which I'm assuming is like the parental love they've had in their lives up till now. Mm-hmm. Little Shoma and Kanba are protesting to the police. What do you mean stay here for a while? What happened to our home? Please let us call home. Our parents will be worried if we're not there when they get back. <laughs> Jeez. they have not been told what's going on yet. Uh, the policewoman just says, I'm sorry, will you put up with it for us? I can't tell you the details. By the way, are you thirsty? I'll get you something to drink. They are staying in room 503, which I don't know if it is a reference or not. I don't either. It didn't really linger on it, but that doesn't mean that it's not notable. Anyway, Kamba just goes, Hey, they're treating us like kids. Shoma questions why they told us to take our clothes and leave home in a hurry. And Himari, who is already asleep because she is the sweetest and best girl, is just going like, Um, Triple H is a big hit. This is heartbreaking. Shoma continues that he saw it on the news before. They evacuated the civilians after an unexploded bomb was discovered underground. This is your friendly reminder that in Japan, it is actually a serious concern that pops up from time to time that there are, in fact, unexploded fucking World War II munitions in various places. That sounds fake, but, like, I know you're correct. Uh, Have any of you seen, uh, have either of you seen Japan Sinks 2020 yet? I mean, I've heard... I've heard of Japan Sinks, and I know that there was a version that came out in 2020, but no, I have not seen it. So, without getting too far into the weeds on this, uh, one of the- I found out about this because one of the first things that happens to the family at the heart of Japan Sinks after Japan goes through, like, a really, really bad earthquake that's causing it to slowly sink into the ocean is the dad goes out to try and dig some stuff so that uh, they can all have dinner. 
and he just happens to get the one in a million bad luck of his shovel hitting unexploded World War II munitions and activating them, and he fucking dies in, like, the third episode. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, Japan Sinks is a very rough story. Yeah, I feel like I had heard that it was, uh, a lot. It's very much one of those stories of, like, this is what, like, this natural disaster would be like, and one of the things that makes the situation horrifying is that people who seem like they should be well-equipped and easily able to survive this, even when they have, like, all the proper skills, sometimes just die because they get really unlucky. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. But yeah, um, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of cultural scarring going on there. Anyway, the two get a phone call, and Kamba decides to answer it, despite the fact that, as we will find out in a minute, they were told not to use the phone or turn on the television. It's their uncle from before. Yep, it is Uncle Ikebe, and he tells Kanba to turn on the TV. They told us not to use the TV or phone, but Shoma turns on the TV anyway, and we are greeted to a bunch of fucking police outside the Takakura residence. Yep. Paper cutout police. It's on every channel, and the TV says there's been a new development in the incident from 13 years ago. Suspected senior members of the group were reportedly residing in Tokyo. Uh, Kanba, as this is going on, because he does not know what's going on. He has yet. not seen the fact that the TV is showing everyone in front of their house. Yeah, just because it's not an unexploded bomb, is it? <laughs> Which is uh, famous a last very, words, very sad boy. little gag. Yeah. Yep, so the news report continues as Shoma points out to Kanba that this is their house. The police are currently conducting a search of the suspect's home. Yep. We are going live to our reporter, Nakamura, at the scene. So, Shoma asks what the reporter is saying, and the slow horror of this situation is dawning on the two of them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a large number of investigators has entered the house, uh, and Uncle Ikebe just go- says, hey, I'm in your house right now, I'm aiding the police with their investigation. First of all, love the This is such a very different cultural detail between the U.S. and Japan. In Japan, even the police fucking care about the taboo of not bringing your shoes into the house. Honestly, pretty funny. Like, it's actually really wrecking me right now because it creates such an intense... We don't really need to see the cops swarming all over the place with this shot to just know... You just need to see all the shoes... It is really, it's a pretty affecting little image. Yeah. You can even uh, kind of pick out which ones are probably Akebe's because everyone else has smart... Like the same shoe. Yeah, department-issued shoes. And there's just one pair of sneakers. (laughs) And uh, Uncle Akebe just goes like, hey, the police, this is probably going to last all night. I'll be there when it's over. Take care of Himari until then. Kamba protests and asks what's going on. The TV says that tension is mounting amongst the residents in uh, the na- the neighborhood where the Takaka's house. Yep. So this is where we get the, uh, the rough th- revelation for the kids. The TV has cut over to a pair of photographs of Kenzon and Chiemi Takakura, mm-hmm. who are both suspects. And... The reporter and the uh, studio reporter confirms once again that the police are searching the home of the primary suspects. Kanba is holding Himari's hand in the uh, dark of the hospital room as Sanatoshi stands nearby. And slowly, 
Himari's vitals begin to return to normal. He says, time to wake up, princess. Himari stirs, her eyes open. The bunnies clap. That was electrifying, Dr. Sanatoshi. I know, right? Uh, The lights come back on, and Shoma narrates as we get a sequence of him and Ringo running into the room that, surprisingly, the goddess changed her mind about death penalty for the youngest lamb. We see Shoma and Ringo rushing into the hospital room as he narrates. Yeah. However, the goddess did not revoke the punishment out of pity for the lambs. They're all crying while Himari's opening her eyes. Nor was it out of mercy for Mary. The goddess said, It would be no fun if the punishment ended here. Which, like, Grim. what the fuck does that mean? That's like, that's such a, like, raw shit kind of shit to say, though. Mm-hmm. And the bunnies both say, Exactly! Grim, grim, grim. The fucking black rabbit of inlay, but it's cute and there's two of them. What is the black rabbit of inlay? You read Watership Down. Oh, yeah, right, right, the black rabbit. Okay, now I know what you're talking about. Fucking. Took me a second there. Read your Richard Adams, kids. Anyway. We are back at the door in the back of the library with the moving tiles. Yep, which leads, as we know, to the Hole in the Sky branch where Sanatoshi met Himari earlier. Sanatoshi passes through that door. And we get a sequence where Sonatoshi begins addressing, for a little while, and for most of this scene, it's not clear who he is addressing. I thought for about half of it, he was talking to us, the viewers. I also did, yes. Because the way it's written makes you think, okay, yeah. Um, As he's talking, we get multiple shots, uh, which we won't describe each and every one, of a young girl with purple hair running around through the hole in the sky branch. It it I it's pink hair. Um I there it's just shadowed like the the lighting right now, but um Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was pink. It is pink hair. It's lavender. It's fine. It is I don't care. I'm colorblind apparently. I, anyway, it, it, okay, it, it is constant no, reality. Hold y'all. on, no, it is absolutely not lavender and I will die on this hill. Fight me for real. I will. I know where you live. Come visit and I'll fight you. Deal. Listeners, if you want Panda to come and fight us. Give me your address. <laughs> I will come and fight you. <laughs> this is a real revolutionary new service we're offering here. <laughs> Dear Patreon supporters, on if demand. you want Panda and I to, to fight for real as she recovers from surgery, <laughs> <laughs> continue your contributions. We will make that our next milestone and we will do a charity fight. Of some variety, which will probably just be us arguing about. It's just, it's just like when the YouTubers did it. Yes, except I will be bad at it and lose. Anyway, does the concept of fate exist in reality? To put it simply, are people's futures set in stone when they are born? Never to be challenged? I don't know why, but every time I get a monologue like this in a thing... Panda, have you ever have you ever listened to or seen the musical Wicked? Yeah, I've seen Wicked. I've actually, like, seen Wicked. I saw a touring yeah. production in New Orleans uh, when I was in high school. Oh, hell yeah. All I'm thinking right now is, us, are people born wicked? Or do they have <laughs> wickedness thrust upon them? <laughs> <laughs> that is very much the vibe, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sanatoshi just overlooks his empire of books and asks if whoever he is talking to will listen to his story for a while. In the past, I guess it was about 16 years ago. I'm sure that means nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. You see, there was this girl, and she just appeared out of the blue. 
To my surprise, she was the same kind of person as me. Which I am very curious as to what that means. Uh, Clearly he needs a duelist of his caliber. Apparently. What were you going to say, Alice? I was going to say that, like, having watched this one, because I did watch it. Wow. It's very vague. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to get a definitive answer on what Sanatoshi means this episode. Oh, definitely not. I just mean, I wonder if we will find out. Yeah. But apparently she had the same kind of eyes as me. Which Sanatoshi says... He has the same kind of pink eyes as when Himari is in Princess of the Crystal Moon. Yep. At first sight, I realized I wasn't a solitary existence in this world. I was so happy. That's right. Until I met her, I was all alone in this world. The way that he is in shadow really looks like it's out of Utena. Yep. Oh yeah. I had not a soul with whom to share the scenery before my eyes, and not a soul with whom to share the music in my ears. But I heard voices all over the world. I could hear the whole world crying out, save me. It's true. Wait, I have a really funny joke to make. Hold on. <laughs> Tell me it's going to come out of the soundboard this time. It's not going to be on the soundboard, but basically Sanatoshi in this moment is giving off big vibes of all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. And I'll look down and whisper, <laughs> whisper no. Whisper no. Yeah. We all thought it, you just said it. I had to look up the exact wording of the quote. (laughs) If you want to hear me talk about Watchmen, go check out my other podcast, Crying in the Book Club. It's our first episode. Uh Uh-huh. Thus, I could see the optimal path for the world, says Sanatoshi. God, we get so many good shots of the empty library here. Mm Mm-hmm. Seriously, but it saddened me. Woe is him. Uh, As he says this, The girl runs by and we do get a shot that I do want to kind of call out here of her, which Mm -hmm. is that a spotlight rushes by her and just misses illuminating her as it heads upward. Mm -hmm. Because the moment I saw her and then another, it intersects Sanatoshi again. The spotlight finally catches her as she hides between two shelves. Sanatoshi says that from the moment he saw her, he knew that they were meant to be, but But she she refused refused to side with him. Over what, one wonders? Curiouser and curiouser. Presumably the optimal path the world would take. She rejected me. So there is some weirdness going on here, not least of which is this is clearly a grade school girl that he is approaching. I actually kind of assumed that this was his memory of her and like they knew each other in the long ago kind of thing. But I might be being charitable here. This is probably... So I think you are absolutely correct because he said this event happened 16 years ago and we do not know how old Sanatoshi is. He could very easily be the same age as Tabuki, who we know was in grade school 16 years ago. Or even just like just a couple of years older. Yeah. Like if he's in that age range, this is not that weird at all. No. But also there is something mildly creepy about his fixation on this young girl as an adult. A hundred percent. Yeah, and this and it's definitely being shown to us in the way it is in order to remind us of that. Anyway, he is still monologuing about how this girl rejected him, the only person who could see the same scenery. Because, yeah. And we get another pass of the spotlight. Uh, the girl has vanished out of her shoes and instead goes running across two train tracks. What is it? A question for me? Yes. Do go Do ahead. Do go ahead. Oh? About what just happened? Why I saved Himari Takakura's life? Why, indeed. It's still a secret. You'll find out. 
Takakura directly addressing the audience. Come on, chill out. You mean Ikuhara? Yeah. Ikuhara directly addressing the audience. It's still How a dare secret. He address me. Don't even approach me, Ikuhara. Then how's this for an answer? I want to find out whether the concept of fate exists in this world. Uh, notably, we've seen this uh, logo on the apples a few times. Mm-hmm. There are some words on it I want to note now, because they're probably going to be relevant now that we know the apples have kind of a thematic connection to Samatoshi. Uh-huh. The, lo- the little penguin logo on this apple says Kiga apple. Uh-huh. I don't know what Kiga means, but I suspect we're going to find out at some point. Okay. Yeah, so I'm just drawing attention to that now, because now that we know, like, the ampule apple was kind of like a, a thing that was connected to him, that, that probably means there's some kind of connection here. And since we've seen these apples multiple times in the shot of the uh, Takakura family home, that probably means he has a connection to them as well that goes back a pretty long ways. Anyway, Sanatoshi wants to find out whether or not fate exists and whether or not that rule governs the universe. I want you to witness it as well. With me, he says, as the girl runs past a bookshelf separating them. That's right, he says. You two search for the penguin drum together. Find out if it really exists. What do you say? Not a bad deal, is it? He has been talking this entire time to the penguin hat, which, as we know, is the princess of the crystal. And it is sitting atop a stack of books, the top of which is Super Frog Saves the Penguin Drum. Yep. Well then, return by her side. Eventually, you will see what I see. Let us observe what will become of the siblings. And as he says this, uh, the pink-haired girl is suddenly wearing the hat, and the floor beneath her vanishes, and she falls into darkness. And sometimes she's just, farewell, my love. Notably, the word he uses here is koibito, mm-hmm. which is not just my love in the, like, romantic sense. Koibito is specifically my lover. Okay. It implies an intimate sexual relationship with someone. Okay. Yeah, like, it can be used in, like, a platonic sense, but, like, you will hear this word used a lot in the context of, like, you know, someone took a lover. And away goes the penguin hat, spiraling down into hell as he tells her that she is his love, the only one who can see the same scenery as me. So that would directly imply that whoever Sonatoshi was referring to is the princess of the crystal. See you again in that world. And cut to the penguin hat sitting by Himari's bedside. Penguin number three is back up and knitting. All three of the penguins are together again. Penguin number one is still being a little shit and reading Monthly Black Kitty, which I believe is some... Yeah, that is a gravier mag. And penguin number two has never had a thought in life. Look at that face. I know. I envy... He has the the perfect face. Oh, to be as smooth-brained as he. The brothers are lamenting the fact that Himari will still have to stay in bed for a while. But uh, they're lucky to have such a nice doctor looking after her. Yep. Shoma asks Kanba, or Shoma catches, like, kind of, like, goes to Kanba, like, hey, uh, what's up? And I was like, oh, yeah, uh, for now, we'll have to do whatever we can for Himari. Meanwhile, Ringo leaves the hospital with a little smile on her face to go and do the healthiest thing she has done in several months. I really like this scene that we are about to get. Yep. I love both of the scenes we're about to get. They're Mm -hmm. so good. Ringo deserves to be happy. Notably, in the lead up to this, we get a uh, reporter 
on TV talking about the symbol of modern Tokyo, the city's new transportation network, the Tokyo Sky Metro. Also notice TSM marks its 10th anniversary of operation today. This whole bit has, has, was so spooky to me. I kept waiting for something terrible to happen. <laughs> and to be fair, it probably will, just not right now. Yeah. However, there is something we must never forget. Today's uh, slogan, by the way, from Double H is uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> what we have lost may or may not have been restored. Systematic advancement toward convenience must not continue. Our actions must reflect our humanity. We must never again repeat such a tragedy. The actual Double H are on the train mm -hmm. with a mascot dressed up as a little subway guy. Yeah, it's uh, very weird and uncanny and I don't like it. The girls are fine. It's the mascot, dude. Una, you know why that's there? To upset Samari me? should have been. No! Yeah, it's literally an empty third person in the spot where Himari should be. Oh, that's that's terrible. I hate that. Thank you! Welcome to hell! <laughs> anyway, uh, the uh, announcer says we'd like to hear from our viewers. Please call the number on, our, on your screen. Please make sure you call the right number. Uh, they get a call in, and the caller begins saying, Brightness and darkness must coexist. Wow, I can't believe that a Kingdom Hearts character is in this game. When you shine a bright light on everything, oh my god. <laughs> darkness will strike the brightness in reaction without fail. Fuck, I think we just made a case for Natsume being one of the characters in our, uh... Shh, it's a secret! Yeah. <laughs> darkness will strike the brightness in reaction without fail. Uh, what are you... Gosh, I must crush it soon. Yeah, not so we just called onto the show to be fucking weird. Yeah. She's gotta stop saying that. It's such a weird thing to say. I know, right? It's her thing. It, it's, it's it's her only thing. Anyway, as the announcer is like, what the, what? <laughs> she just hangs up the phone and refuses to explain and turns off the TV. Uh, notably, Esmeralda turns off the TV. Like a boss. I love Esmeralda. <laughs> Uh, the two of them sit in the most depressing hunting lounge ever invented. <laughs> uh, with a little apple and uh, the half of the diary they captured in front of them. And Natsume gets another call. And she says, oh, it's you. Yes, Mario is doing fine. Mario is in bed and has vitals hooked up to him, so he's doing okay. I should express my gratitude. Uh, there is a little apple plate by Mario's bed, and the apple slices are peeled and cut in such a way as to look like they have been cut into little bunny shapes. Mm -hmm. I wonder who Natsume is working with. Well, we do get a shot of the bunnies. Yeah, immediately match cut to the bunnies in Sanatoshi's uh, office as he tells them, Oh no, that's not necessary. You've paid a sufficient price. Uh, Natsume tells him she wants to crush it. Uh, to which he says, I know, right? By the way, I have some, some information for you. I know where the other half of the diary is. Or rather, I know who has the other half of the diary. Esmeralda, meanwhile, is peeling an apple like an absolute boss. This penguin knows how to use knives better than anyone else. I am honestly kind of impressed. I love that she like that she cuts the um, the peeling just as he says that. Like, <gasps> gasp. Yep. Specifically, I think she was gonna like peel the entire apple in one ribbon, and she uh, she's so surprised by that it cuts off. A little but early. who who has the other half of the diary? Slow zoom up. And we're not going to find out because Ringo has decided to talk to Tabuki and have an actual conversation with him. This is the scene that I like. Yep. Uh, Ringo asked Tabuki if he kn knew about the Takakura's, the sibling's parents. 
I also really liked this scene. That there's a single cat in the background. We actually get to the cats. We get a really good. This reminds me of like some Black Rose shit where, uh, like, there are these cats walking across the wall behind where Ringo and Tabuki are sitting, and yes, we just extremely, uh, we just see various numbers of them walk by as they're having the conversation. If yep. you you can kind of make an argument for the cats kind of being a subtle like mirroring what the conversation's about i mean yeah yeah, sure which is kind of what what the black rose arc did where it's like Mm -hmm. it's background noise but it's background noise that you could argue kind of near parallels the conversation Mm -hmm. and it just kind of makes the whole thing feel weirdly greek greek tragedy-esque yeah while otherwise normal conversation is happening yep anyway topic is oh you must have heard it from him and admits he was shocked too when he found out there were students in his, that the Takakuras were students in his own school. So the cats go by, there is a big cat, and then there are three little cats. Mm-hmm. Just like the three siblings. Yeah, it's a weird coincidence that, you know, two of the children of the perpetrators would go to school and be in the class of a friend of one of the victims. Yep. I'm a vic- friend of the victims, says Tawuki. They are the culprit's children. Ringo asks him if he still remembers the incident. Yeah, and he just admits he honestly can't believe it happened. We get a little flashback as he says that the last he saw of her sister was when we parted ways after school. And it's a shot of the two of them holding hands while on... I think what's going on here is that the two of them were on bikes or one of them was in a car or something and they were holding their hands together and then let them go. Because we also get some road signs rushing past. Yeah, Ringo asks Tabuki what he would do if, you know, he found the area, if he got his hands on the Takakura's parents, and he goes, well, honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's not like they killed her with their own hands. I don't really have any desire for vengeance or anything like that, really. Ringo admits she can't believe it either and doesn't really understand it. But she was told her parents were really sad about it. You will inherit your parents' trauma, but you will never really understand it. Yep. She asks if that makes her a failure as a daughter. And Tabuki just straight up says, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And Ringo admits she wished she could become her sister, uh, Momoka. And as she says this, we see tears fall on her hand from out of frame. Yep. And she's says that if she could have, then she could have healed Tabuki's pain and her parents' pain too. It's a lot of uh, pressure to take on as a teen girl. Yeah. Tabuki replies that there are things in life that cannot be restored, but I'm glad to have met you. What about you? With tears in her eyes, Ringo looks up and says, me too, but I wish I'd never found out about their parents. And as she says this, we see the little cats, the three little black cats, uh, standing on the side of the road as Tabuki says, No, I'm sure it happened for a reason. There's a meaning no matter how sad or painful it may be. As the three kittens walk off. Nothing in this world is pointless. We head back to the subway, where we are now on the Higashi Koenji line, and Ringo is texting her father, Dear Daddy, I'm sorry I couldn't call you yesterday. Can I come over and visit your new family next time? I'll keep it a secret from Mom for now. And congratulations on your new marriage, Daddy. I hope you will be happy together. And she seems like she really means it. Yep. She sends that message, and as she does, she looks up at the little slogan and says, I love the word... And we get her monologue again from when we first saw her. I love the word fate. 
You know how they talk about fated encounters? Just one single encounter can completely change your life. Such special encounters are not coincidences. They're definitely fate. Of course, life is not all happy encounters. As she's saying this, we get our third flashback to the night everything went bad for the Takakuras. Three years ago, Shinjuku Kayo Plaza Hotel. Night. Takakura Families. Crime and Punishment. Part 3. That day, everything was stripped from us. There are many painful and sad predicaments. It's hard to accept the misfortunes beyond your control or fate. As she's saying this, we're getting footage over it of the police officer coming into the room where Kanba and Shoma have still got the TV on and are watching the investigation play out in real time in shock. But I think, Ringo continues, that there's a meaning no matter how sad and painful things may be. Nothing in this world is pointless because I believe in fate. And we get a crash zoom on their dad's eyes in the like picture that they're showing on the news. He looks so sinister. He's just a sinister looking guy. Yep. I mean, he's very angry right now. Oh, no, you're talking about the dad. Kanba is very angry right now. As he says, there's no way our parents would do anything like that. Did you really do your research? The police officer tells him that unfortunately it's true. The police have been investigating your parents for quite some time. Meanwhile, Kamba is literally shaking. Yep. We have evidence of their roles in the incident, too. The camera is also kind of shaky right now, kind of like moving back and forth a little bit. Yeah, to kind of convey sort of how unstable everything's become as Kamba screams that it's a lie. Our parents would never. How are we supposed to explain that to him, Mari? That really is the saddest part. Shoma reaches out to touch Kamba's shoulder as he spats his hand away and says, It's all made up. Our parents didn't do it. They're not that kind of people. And we get the ending card for the episode, Crime and Punishment for You and Me. We get a new end song! This is actually, I think we may only get this one for this episode because this is a, do you remember the last time we heard this one? We've heard this one before? Yes, this is Grey Wednesday, which is the song that played over Himari's flashback. To the weird room with all of the other kids where she remembered her soulmate. Yeah! I had totally forgotten about that, but you're right. Yep. The images for this are very, very sweet. Uh, It is Triple H, and they are connected together by the red threads of fate, which are rising up uh, between Hibari, Hikari, and Himari. And each of them is grasping the strand of fate and also holding their scarf that the red string seems to float up from to the next member as it just kind of a montage of the three of them flow by. We get multiple shots of he- of Himari in a row, interestingly, here. And as we follow it up, we get a little shower of apples and then two hands reaching down toward Himari, which I think are her brother's hands. There's a couple of things that are slightly disturbing about this. Number one, they are posed in a weird way so that they look like they're kind of hanging down rather than just reaching for her. And because they're a little pale colored, it kind of suggests that they may or in fact be dead. Yeah. I wonder what that, what's coming with that? Because that's not good. Anyway. Esmeralda and Penguin number three are at a hot spring? Yep, they are at a little hot spring bathing themselves as a, as Penguin number one moves in on them with a fucking um, snorkel because he's a perv and he wants to peep on them bathing. 
And then he gets too close and immediately goes underwater as they look at him. The only truth is the last word you will say to me tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, thoughts about the ending sequence, by the way, is, oh, first of all, the Lily Hoshino end card this time is Sonnet Hoshi poking his fingers into Kanba's chest, looking the most anime villain. And the uh, last line of the episode is uh, survival strategy. I love you. Uh, it's Himari saying the line. And I love you, Himari. Yep. Um, Himari continues to be best character in Penguin Drum. Well, that sure was an episode. <laughs> yeah. But you really liked this episode, Cass. I really did. It, it made me happy to watch. This is as much of a Stone Cold Bummer as the last one, but like... All of the questions I have are fun questions, and I'm ready to, to get some answers to them in the coming episodes. We uh, know more about what precisely happened to the Takakura siblings when they were kids. We're getting a firmer timeline of what's been going on there. We now know precisely how long they've been without their parents. Yeah, like that day three years ago. So they have been without their parents only for the last three years or so. Which it did seem like it was a lot longer. I imagine that was probably intentional. Or maybe not a lot longer, but it seemed like it was longer to me anyway. Yeah, I, I could see how you would feel that way. Because, like, it did kind of seem like it had been a while to me as well. But I guess also part of that may have come from the fact that they just had such an established routine. But you could probably, you know, like, you could get there in three years pretty easy. Like, I could see that happening. But yeah, yeah. so, um, how are how are we all feeling? I thought this was a, was a good one. Mm-hmm. This one definitely, I joked about, like, I joked about, like, stars on my origins. But, like... This one felt more Utsuna-esque, and especially specifically at the conversation with Ringo. Mm-hmm. As you said, you're very correct. It, it was extremely Black Rose arc energy, kind of like the way it's framed, the yeah, the lighting. It just reminded me of Black Rose. Mm-hmm. While also we have Satoshi going on the stairs, so if you notice, he had the, he was blacked out, kind of like how some people are in Utsuna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this one felt very Utsuna. Also, there are lots of stairs, which is very Utsuna. That's true. <laughs> yeah, um, in fact, I think... So my feeling about Ikuhara shows is uh, stairs are, are good, and the more stairs you have, the more good of a show it is. Uh, you know, I can't see any fault with that logic. Uh, which is why I love Yurikuma so much, because so much of the uh, best episodes of that show involve walking up or down a stairway to go to Bear Court. You're so right. Do we have any final thoughts? Honestly, that is my final thought. Okay. Like, yeah. Well, actually, no. I think I, do, I think I do have one thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've said I've, I've kind of hinted this before, but I've joked about this before. But I did want to say that parts of this episode have cemented for me. If you are familiar, there's a show called Bakemonogatori. I have not watched it, but like I've heard of it. Yeah, most people know it because of the terrible things, but um, it also has. An interesting thing where the t- it's it's an adaptation of a series of light novels, mm-hmm. and the light novels are very much dialogues. They are literally almost exclusively just in the form of dialogues between characters, and to convey that in the to convey that in the actual anime, they do a lot of really interesting sort of like cutbacks and interstitial material, and. I really like how Ikahara and company kind of do this. I like how the studio 
has the little the thematic interstitials, like the um the little signs that have like the incoming train thing. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, like, would this episode have been as good without that? And I don't think so. I actually think that the fact that we've had that all along has really primed me for obsessively thinking about what kind of um what what revelations I'm going to get out of every single one of these segments. Yeah, I definitely get that. Yeah, it just kind of came to mind as if we were watching this. What about you, Cass? I really, really, really liked this episode. Like, what really got me about it more than anything is how much... How do I put this? This was kind of catnip for my brain at a couple of points. (laughs) Last episode kind of bummed me the hell out. This episode, maybe it's just that it's catching me in a better mood than the last one did, but it gave me kind of back this nice little frisson of like, stuff is happening, and the stuff that's happening is intriguing, and it makes me want to know more. I didn't have to like grapple with the cognitive dissonance of what is happening with like the sarin gas attack. I could finally focus on the thing I actually like about Penguin Drum, which is the characters. And the struggles they're going through and they're, the fact that they mean so much to each other and how much, you know, they want to kind of like move forward from the things that are messing with them and just live happily together. And Ringo got to have a meaningful conversation with Tabuki that wasn't creepy and got to finally overcome the shitloads, some of the shitloads of trauma she's been under. And I'm yeah. so happy for her. I love Ringo and I'm happy. Uh, unironic support for Ringo. My support for Ringo has never been ironic. I don't have an ironic bone in my body. I am incapable of it. I don't think that's true. I think that you are capable of irony. I believe in you, even. Aw, thanks, Alice. Anyway. But that is all that we have to say about the episode. Then, listeners, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UchnaCast. And if you would like to follow me on Twitter... You do that at mpandanata. Alice, where can people find you online? Um, they can find me on Twitter at Lyrewolf, which is L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. And Cass, where can people find that podcast that you and Alice do? I'm glad you asked. You can find Big Steppy wherever fine podcasts are sold. Look forward to an upcoming co- crossover episode with this podcast, in fact. I believe that that episode will actually be out before this even though we are recording this before it ah well in that case look back in time to a previous crossover with this podcast (laughs) Uh, if you'd like to contact alice or i to engage with us or talk about the uh gundam podcast we do then you can find us at steppycast on twitter and if you would like to support this show, you could do that at Patreon, and you can find that at our, our Patreon at utinacast.com. And if you would like to come on this show or get in contact with us about some other Ikuni-related thing, or, I mean, even not, you know, whatever, uh, it you can get in contact with us either at our email address imagine me and you tonight, at gmail.com or you can follow the link that is in our pinned tweet that has a uh, google form and that is how you can express interest in coming on the show or you can hit us up on our twitter and i believe that is everything so at the count of three two one 
we will survival tactic. Mm-hmm. Three, right. two, one. Survival, survival tactic! doing over there alice just burst in the door of the room i'm recording in so like heart's out dancing to the <laughs> outro yeah god <laughs>